let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Right, here we go. What you think about? Welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I hope you enjoyed our opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, featuring Maya Dora, and you can listen to it on any of your favorite music platforms. You can go ahead and download that. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks, we're about sound information, not just sound bites. We like to have real conversations with real people from those living with dementia to those caring for them, both family and professionals, as well as businesses. We've had musicians and researchers and movie directors and advocates and children all on making a difference. And we'd love to hear your story as well. I want to thank our listeners because it is the season to be grateful. And we have a lot to be grateful for. You guys have been absolutely wonderful in spreading the word of our work. So I hope you continue to like, click and share because there's always somebody in our sphere who's dealing with dementia that they just haven't mentioned it yet. They're not quite sure where to go. Today's conversation, we are going to be doing the series with Roseville Alzheimer's and Dementia Community Action Team, and it's about their caring and coping series on how people are dealing with the pandemic. So before I introduce our guest today, I just want to remind everyone that we uh, do archive all of our shows, so you can feel free to listen to any of those at any time you'd like. We've been doing it for, oh my gosh, almost uh, 10, 11 years now. I want to give a shout out to Artist Way Memory Cafe. We do those once a month on the third Wednesday at one o'clock. And also to Arthur Senior Living, we do a memory cafe on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at one o'clock. If you're interested in either of those, just reach out to me at Lori, L-O-R-I, at alzheimerspeaks.com. And then, of course, I need to give a couple of shout outs. Um, One would be the Memory Cafe directly, um, because there are over 100 virtual Memory Cafes now in the U.S. And with, with the ones I do or these others, you don't have to be in that neighborhood uh, for, to, you know, in order to participate because they're virtual, they're online. You can either do video or just call in if you don't have the video. So check that out at memorycafe.com. I also want to thank Dave Weedrick who pulled together the Memory Cafe directories in five countries because he and I have partnered up and launched Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory 
for everything dementia. We have got over 160 categories that you can search out and we will be building that out as we go. We've only been up and running for about a month now, but you can check out DementiaMap.com. And if you're interested in a tour, maybe you have something you'd like to list in there, reach out to me. We have both a free plan and two paid plans that you can pick from. And then, of course, Coral Health during the pandemic has been allowing people to download their music apps, both Music First and Coral Faith for free. And you can go to CoralHealth.com, that's C-O-R-O dot com. And let's not forget about the Footbar Walker. Let's hear what they have to say. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. So we're finally going to introduce you to our guest today again with the Roseville AD Group and their Caring and Coping series on the pandemic. Today we have two guests representing Brookdale Senior Living. First is Tricia Vidrell, and she has been in the senior living and healthcare industry for 25 years. Her current role is Divisional Dementia Care Manager with Brookdale Senior Living. Teresa is also actively involved as an advocate with the Alzheimer's Association and serves as an ambassador with the Alzheimer's Congressional Team and is an advocate with the Alzheimer's Impact Move Movement, uh, or referred to as AIM. And she is passionate about serving individuals with dementia by being directly involved in dementia care program and development. Second, I'm going to introduce you to Denise Olson. Denise is a, the licensed administrator, and she has over 30 years of rich and varied clinical and operational experience. Her current position is executive director at Brookdale North Oaks and allows her to use effective strategies and techniques to optimize care and support those living with dementia. They will both share with us how their organization has been adapting to these changing times with the COVID pandemic by working and doing what they're doing, both for the person with dementia, their staff, and families. And this also includes a collaboration that they're working on at the Shoreview Community Center which is of really of special interest because it gives people some respite. Well, welcome ladies. I'm thrilled to have you with us today. This pandemic has really thrown everything upside down and inside out. So Teresa, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. And how about you, Denise? How are things going with you? 
I'm doing really well. Thank you. I am too excited to be a part of this. Good. No, we have listeners all around the world at all ages and stages. So we have people with dementia. We have families. We have businesses, researchers, movie directors, singers, songwriters, you know, everybody's voice we think is important and needs to be heard. And we truly believe here on Alzheimer's Speaks that if we don't include everyone, we can't have sustainable change. Again, we, we know how busy everyone is, especially around the holidays. And so, um, again, thank you so much for joining us. I want to uh, ask you guys, uh, you know, to start with, Therese, if you can explain to our audience, what is the mission of your organization and, and how does that relate to dementia and caregiving? As an organization, I mean, Brookdale Senior Living, we have been providing dementia care and person-centered care for over 30 years. And so truly, our foundation is built on evidence-based approaches and research studies, and we continue to evolve. But as it relates to the individual living with dementia, um, we truly believe that the disease, the diagnosis, Um, The dementia itself does not define that person. And everyone living with dementia has their strengths, their abilities, their talents, and recognizing them who they are as a person and how that looks and and how we support them throughout the day in our person-centered approaches is, is our focus for sure and supporting the whole family as well impacted by dementia. Just one clarification, because some people might be interested, you know, we talk primarily about dementia on this show, but is Brookdale all dementia related or do you care for all types of seniors? So as an organization, we are a national organization that covers the full continuum of senior living and healthcare. So from we have independent living, um, assisted living, our specialized Alzheimer's and dementia care, memory care programs, as well as some skilled nursing Um, facilities as well. So really supporting the whole continuum throughout the healthcare, as well as having some um, services in um, home health uh, as well and hospice services. Okay, great. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, Now, Denise, I want to ask you about COVID-19 and all the restrictions and the huge impact that I'm sure it had on your services and activities that you once offered and would are trying to still offer people with dementia and their caregivers. So what's happened in your organization during the first couple of weeks, the pandemic hit? How, how did you bounce with that? You know, it was um, a very trying time, obviously, for, for everyone. The residents here that reside at Brookfield North Oaks, we had to focus on not reacting in front of them, but, but performing for them as if nothing was going on differently. The sudden change of not being able to see their loved one, the sudden change of us being in full PPE, you know, mask, and and we had face shields on so they really couldn't see us. And we wore gowns for a great deal of time to protect them from the virus. And we had to do things outside of the box to make that okay for them. So they thought we looked pretty funny, first of all. They missed seeing our faces. So we would, we would draw faces on our face masks, we would write little messages. Um, you look beautiful today on our face mask to make it seem more normal. Um, and we really had a focus on 100% on making more activities going on in our building because of the absence of their loved one. Okay. You know, I love how you're trying to engage and trying to keep that normality because that is really a spooky thing, especially it if is. someone's progressed with the disease 
who is this? What's what's going on? And where, where's my loved one? Or why are they outside the window and not coming in? How did you adapt your services during the months that followed then in terms of what kind of changes occurred for you? It was inevitable that we had increased our activities to the building, not just with our activity director, but other folks that were in our community. All of my leadership team took a couple of things that we like to do and brought those out to the floor to the residents so they would have more more engagement more fulfilling time with with different people that they see that necessarily take care of them so that's always a nice thing and just 100 of, of focusing on what we can do every minute of the day for them that's different we would some of us would walk down the hall and just start singing and grabbing some of the residents and we'd sing together to go down to dinner um, we did a lot of community you know, talk, would be in groups of people safely, of course, six feet apart, but we would start a topic, we'd use a, a sentence and we'd have this, the residents help us fill out the sentence with the words that match. We did a lot of different things and upped our ability to uh, be creative in a time that was we were forced to do that and actually forcing us to make ourselves more involved in the residents during the day has really changed the feel and the rhythm of our community. Yeah, it, there's some real big gifts, I think, that have come out of all of this in terms of really getting relationship-based and, and really getting that feeling back into how we care versus being kind of task-oriented, which has kind of been a standard for a while. Even though we, we talk about person-centered care, those tasks and, and meeting guidelines, you know, it's critical. But when you come into a crisis and you see, you know, the mental health of these people and your staff as well, I mean, everybody, you really have to pull together. Now, one thing you had mentioned was kind of going down to dining together, because I know some places said, nope, you got to stay in your room and everything was delivered. So you kept congregate dining um, able to go in your memory cares? Since March, we've had a change in that sometimes on a weekly basis, depending on if we had COVID-19 in our buildings. We're fortunate to have a building laid out where we can have little areas of dining rooms set up. So we still are not in one dining room. Uh, we are still in several little dining rooms. So we had to make adjustments that way so that they could be safely sitting in a room with four or five, six people at some places, but you know, having that distance related. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's wonderful to hear. Go ahead, Teresa. Our focus was, has always been the health and safety of our residents and our staff while following the CDC guidelines and most also definitely the local state and Department of Health ordinances and guidances too. So sometimes those guidelines and restrictions would change from county to county. And so as a whole, what we did as an organization is try to to give some guidelines based on where the communities fell within their state and Department of Health guidelines too. Definitely physical and uh, distancing with dining. Sometimes there, uh, many communities did have to offer and, and still do offer the in-room dining more so. So it just depends and continues to evolve based on that local communities um, ordinances and, and guidance as well. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I think, and you mentioned this and stated it really clearly of how every state and, and county even is different in terms of how they're handling stuff, which, which really, again, gets us back to that person-centered care. And this is really Absolutely. individual from the person to, to where they actually live. Teresa, I'm going to throw this one to you first, if you don't mind. And I want to hear what types of things were you hearing from your clients, you know, on a, on a corporate level 
And how did that shape your response? And then I want to go to Denise to hear how they did it specifically within their community. The biggest adjustment in working with our residents and family was, in fact, not having the visitors and not having that contact as, as Denise spoke to. And because that was the priority as far as health and safety and trying to be proactive, a lot of emphasis on educating our families, our residents, our staff, ourselves on the continuing information that came out too. So big emphasis as it continues on the, the emotional well-being and the overall well-being and how do you support and promote that family connectedness and those relationships. So, you know, how technology has taken off, pretty incredible, and some silver linings have come out of it too. But I think all of our communities and teams have become very adapted at trying to continue to offer that social connections. What does that look like with, you know, window visits or those, you know, the Zoom or the Skype or the FaceTime, you know, just really listening and being very in tune to their, to their needs, honoring and celebrating the special moments, the, the anniversaries, the birthdays, you know, recognizing that families were missing that. And how can we, how can we help compensate? How can we still help the resident and family celebrate those times too? So that is continuing to be a, a big emphasis for us across the board. And, and I think it is a silver lining to some point. I mean, we had one community that I think in, in trying to still make those connections and support that resident's emotional well-being, you know, reached out to the family member and says, you know, is there some more connections or special friends that your loved one has that maybe we could connect them? You know, again, recognizing the need for more emotional support. And here they found a friend of this resident over 40 years. They had been used to visiting every week for over 40 years. This friend now lived in Florida, many states away, right? And so they set up the call. I don't think perhaps, you know, it would have, but I think this this pandemic and, and the the opportunity to think more creatively gave us that opportunity for that connection. Who's to say, you know, that that would have happened? I don't know. So I think there are some silver linings and some connections, but definitely, yes continuing to focus in on those family connection has big has been a big part of it. Well, I know I've seen too, and Denise, I want to hear from you, but I, I've seen, it seems like more families are connecting than maybe were before because they're worried about, well, what if I don't have this opportunity? What if something yeah. happens? I think that's a pretty cool blessing. And then realizing how we can connect through technology, which was kind of poo-pooed before, same with telehealth and things. Those things have kind of come into the forefront going, no, this can work and this can work really, really well. So, you know, I think that's real neat. Denise, how about in your own community? What were you hearing from both residents living with dementia and their families? When we first started with COVID-19 and the closure of our building for visits, I was really very concerned about how my residents would react to not having their loved ones come. During that time, using the virtual visits seemed odd. It seemed like they wouldn't be able to follow through with it because it was so different from what they're used to. It took us a while to become clever with it. Um, one of the things that we did back in April is we requested all our families to send current pictures of who they are. 
And then we, a few minutes before we would do the Zoom meeting or virtual meeting, we would bring out the pictures of who they were going to be talking to and really try to focus the resident on that person. What we have here is a life story what, where they talk about their family or loved ones or friends that will be calling them. And so we use that with their pictures. And today, I would say more than half of our residents really enjoy their time with their family or friends virtually. It's taken them a time to get into that rhythm of that being normal and that they're not here, but they're in that box or in that camera thing. Mm -hmm. The residents do miss their loved ones and we can't take that place. But what we can do is be more emotionally involved with caring for them, giving them kind thoughts and wonderful wishes and really supporting them in a manner that has required us to step into a different family mode than we had before and really increasing our day-to-day actions with them, holding their hands, maybe much more than we used to, giving that hug, maybe much more than we used to, trying to help that void that they have in their hearts. Families have really enjoyed the virtuals as well. They really enjoy when we do indoor visits, but we're closed right now for them. That has ebb and flowed with, of course, the county again, the county ratio, if we've had any current COVID. So it's been up and down for them. The families stay in tune by um, a Zoom meeting that's taken place every week from me that gives them the update of what we're able to do. So we've been open a few times in the last couple of months for visits indoors. They're very restricted. They're very well prepared so that nobody ever receives anybody else when they're doing the visits other than their loved one. But it certainly does give them the choice to see them and to see their eyes and all those good things. Oh, that's nice. Teresa, can you talk about what services and activities you're currently providing kind of on a big scale, I guess, of the organization and then what makes them successful? And then again, we'll go to Denise to kind of talk specifics in her community. In regards to our dementia care, you know, we have a daily path of engagement that we have set up to help the individual and the resident living with dementia to be as successful as possible and to really truly enjoy those moments of success throughout the day. It just, it looks different, you know, right now and we have to to offer it differently, but we can still offer and provide that physical exercise, which is so important. The cognitive stimulation, giving them the opportunity to, to express themselves creatively and emphasis too on the benefits of the therapeutic music too. And working through, again, the engaging day for the resident, but just adapting it and and focusing much more on small groups, which, you know, our dementia care program is ClareBridge, and it is foundationally developed on small groups. Can't meet the needs of all individuals with dementia in large groups, right? So, in a way, you know, COVID has definitely almost reiterated that foundation and that the importance of that small group programming, how we've adapted it is just how we can safely offer it, do it more physically distanced. And perhaps that physical exercise, it does look different and can look different, whether that's individually or one-to-one or in a small group of less than 10 physically distanced, but trying to go through and just say, you know, it does look differently, but we can still offer and provide the same benefits to the residents as much as possible too. And definitely celebrate the moments of of success and giving them those moments of joy and sharing that with our families as well. Right. How about you, Denise? What, do you want to add anything for what you're doing specifically in North Oaks? 
we um, have really seen great improvement with communication since we've gone to smaller groups. It was easier to do large groups at the beginning um, before COVID. You, you have a group of 10 to 12 to 15, and now we had to reduce that to two to four or two to five. And what we've noticed from that is the residents are identifying the person they were in groups with and we'll try to find them in different settings or sit by them maybe for a meal or reach out to them in the hallway, one of the common areas. So they've connected more with spending time with less people than they have with big group settings. I think it's too overwhelming for some of the residents with dementia Alzheimer's to recognize so many people, but when they're in a smaller group, they are recognizing them and they seem more fulfilled on having that friend or that, that person that's with them all the time as a comfort level for them to be with a person that they spend a lot of time with. Fantastic. Denise, I wanted to ask you to like, you know, this has been a tough time. So there's got to have been some really challenges that, you know, you're picking out, you know, gray hairs and biting your nails off with. What have you faced and how have you dealt with that? I've noted a couple of times that I've been in the business for 30 years and this has been the hardest, um, most challenging, bad time of my career. Um, it's very hard to change everyone's life. And that's what I feel like I've done. I've had to change the resident's lifestyle. I've had to change the staff's lifestyle. I have had to ask them to do things that I would have never had to ask them to do. I've had to implement different systems in the community to keep everybody safe. That sometimes was meaning people couldn't be with their own families or their own friends. You know, and the families um, having the ability taken away from them to see their parents or their spouse or their friends. There's been many days when I get a, a call from a family saying, please, just can I please just come see them one time? I'll make it short. You know, and of course, the answer to those are no. And so it, it has been a time where, where I realized that we're all in the same boat together. Everybody's gone through a lot of changes with COVID. But I do think the residents who can understand the residents that live here that don't understand what's going on, I feel like I'm not doing my job. I feel like it's very, I just kind of go through the motions every day and I'm not making a difference for them. I know reaches out to the residents in an unknown way. They can just feel the distress of staff. And so trying to work with my staff and try to, to give them encouragement and, you know, fulfill them with, you know, whatever I can do to help them and their family get through these times has also been a challenge because they're also going through very difficult times with employment and childcare has been very difficult in this industry. We have a lot of young moms have children in school who no longer have that ability. And so those things have been difficult with staffing and it has been, it's been really hard. One benefit that I've had is again, the Brookdale communities that we have that there's so many resources and at any given time, I can pick up the phone and talk to somebody about where we're at. So that's a good, that's a really good thing. That's a great thing. Before we started recording, we were talking about this and you had said, I wish I would have <laughs> taken some notes. How would that have helped you in terms of looking at some of the challenges and, and even the progression of what you've gone through? I do think that having taken the notes, writing my feelings out, writing out what happened today and who it impacted and what my direction was for them would have made me look back and, and better understand, you know, where I am today, because we've come a long way. However, it doesn't feel like we have. We're still doing all the things that are necessary 
that keep people apart. We're still separating residents much more than we ever had to. So even with the positives on some of the communication and the relationship the residents have, it's still heartbreaking for them. And I think it would have just helped me to look back and go, look, we're, you know, we're, we're still okay. We've, we've only had a few cases and, and we're still okay. We're still loving on our residents. And I still have wonderful staff that are working here um, through these very difficult times. Yeah, I, I think, you know, journaling for everybody is a good thing to do. And granted, a person yeah. with dementia, most likely if they're living there might not have the ability to be able to do that or even to communicate that to you. But for staff and even for family mm-hmm. to realize what this, I mean, what this really is that we're all going through, right. you know, and then having to sort through all the misinformation and stuff on top of it really complicated things and mm-hmm. how stuff got politicize. And I'm sure we're going to get a whole nother batch of that with the vaccine stuff too going on. So, you know, it seems like we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but the tunnel is still really a long one to, to get out of. And we can't do it alone. It takes all of us working together with that. Thank you for sharing that. Teresa, I want to ask you, what do you think the future holds for Brookdale and their services and activities as a whole? And Do you think you'll end up doing things differently because of what you've learned during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. It's taught many lessons along the way, right? And some of it is, you know, like I kind of referred to earlier, some of the foundational concepts, it's really brought it up to the forefront that this is part of what we've been continuing to encourage. And just now everyone is truly seeing, you know, the consistency and the value of that too. I think for how things change, I think it certainly opened up as we, as we said a little bit earlier on technology, it has been incredible to see just the creativity and the meaningful connections that have taken place, both with families and engagement. Like how has that opened up some more engagement? I think the pandemic in in itself and the outside community and what they have offered as far as virtual engagement, I think that's opened up a lot of possibilities too. That's going to just kind of open up the eyes of the world, right? For lack of a better way to look at it. But it's just, there's been so many interesting aspects that we've been able to bring into the residents' experiences that virtually, but they wouldn't have been able to experience this. I think continuing to focus on the emotional well-being and the domains of well-being is so important. And just again, looking at it very individually and continuing to grow and make that stronger as well. So I think just continuing to evolve and build on it for sure. Okay. Denise, how about you? What would you like to add to that? I do think the the relationships that we've learned how to connect with residents was something that we were never forced to do because we were forced to make the smaller groups. We've really learned the residents do really succeed in um, a positive manner when they're with a similar person all a lot, um, not all the time, but a great deal of time. And that makes them feel more normal. You know, you, you think about it and none of us sit in a living room of 12 people when we go home at night. And so that's not normal. And so when we've had a smaller group setting at night to watch TV, listen to music, um, most recently we've had a lot of people singing Christmas carols in different portions of the building. Those have all been ex- really exciting to see the residents enjoy that. And we wouldn't have done that probably had we not been through this pandemic. 
Now, if I'm not mistaken, you're doing some respite work with the Shoreview Community Center. Can you talk about that? So we have a, um, a support group that we hold for caregivers that are going through different periods of their time caring for their loved one at home. And with that, we provide, um, when the community is able to be open due to COVID, we provide uh, staff who come in and help watch the resident that is suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's while we have an interactive support group. We have our music therapist, who is our life enrichment coordinator, who also joins us with that. And she will sing to the residents as she does here at North Oaks um, and plays games with music, actually. So most of the things she does, she sings to the residents. And it's really a soft and, and lovely time that they get to spend singing with, with Lacey while we try hard to support those who are living at home and struggling with the difficult process while the resident can still live at home and how to help them through the questions and anxiety that they go through, some of the anger they go through to support them. Right. Do you guys do anything with like memory cafes that have the person with dementia and their caregiver together done anything zoom wise even though people are in different locations as a matter of fact we have done zoom supports with brookdale north oaks for anybody who's interested in our community um, or not if they're just interested in, in you know information to help get them through that and at the last session we set up kitchens and dining areas and even went into the hand over hand because there's a couple people who were, were um, suffering from that technique that tipa snow teaches and how to better their engagement during their mealtimes. Okay, but I'm saying to have a group with both at the same time. We're uh -huh. families and residents. A friend of mine in Colorado um, has a dementia-friendly community, and they do that, and she showed me a clip, and it was amazing because it was just one more way for family to be able to connect. Mm -hmm. They had a, a group, and they used their music therapist a lot, but the family was literally in tears seeing their loved one clapping their hands and just happy. And just wasn't a lot of conversation, but it was them being able to actually observe what was going on. And so I just thought I'd throw that out as, a, as an idea to, again, make families feel a little bit more comfortable, bring joy to everybody and let them know it's okay. Got I'd love to speak on that a little bit. We do have a Zoom um, activity session where the activity director will be with the residents and we'll have Zoom on um, so they can actually see um, what is happening with the residents during activities and the families absolutely love that. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. So we do do that. I appreciate that idea as well. And that's when people used to come to the communities is when we have things going on. So they enjoy watching that. And certainly that has been a great start for us with the Zoom meetings and watching the activities. Tonight, we're actually holding a Christmas Carol event, and that'll be live on Zoom. We're going to walk the hallways or wheel the hallways, whichever one we can, um, in groups of two to three people and sing Christmas carols. So um, they'll be able to watch that as well. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Teresa, I wanted to know if you had any advice you'd give families and, and caregivers who, you know, have a loved one with dementia on how do you deal with this isolation and the restrictions for both themselves and what I think a lot of times what they project is happening to their loved one? I think as a whole, both family caregivers, professional caregivers and support, I think with the effects of the 
and impacts of this pandemic, we have to reevaluate and give a little bit of grace on what does success look like? And we have to have a little bit of a paradigm shift. That successful engagement and that successful moment for that individual living with dementia, maybe it doesn't look the same as what it did, you know, before March. But that doesn't mean that moment of experiencing love and joy and that connection, that is still the same, you know, that is still the same benefit that we can offer. So just thinking about cars for families and how they can help support, perhaps they're in the home setting, right? Maybe their individual is, is living at, at home or, and they're trying to figure that out too. And just the isolation of, of the community as a whole or dealing with the isolation of being separated too. But, you know, looking at what is, you know, some of the individual preferences and interests of that individual. And sure, maybe before COVID, we offered it this way, you know, and maybe we did it in a larger group, or maybe we, we went actually physically to another place, but how can we adapt it? You know, we've all done that in our own lives, right? (laughs) As far as what that looks like. And so I think even offering that support and that engagement For individuals living with dementia, I think just recognizing that, yes, it does and will look different, but that doesn't mean that we still can't give them just those wonderful moments of joy along the way, for sure. Well, I liked what you said about success looks different, because I do think it's a brilliant time to get us to all settle down a little bit of what's really important. Now, my mom had dementia for 30 years. So like I get it from a family side and what expectations are, but I know I, I came to this moment in time where the big stuff wasn't important. It was really the things that melted my heart and stayed with me were seeing a smile, hearing a giggle, seeing a glint in the eye, seeing her joyful. For me, I ended up creating a a tool called Your Memory Chip that made me focus first and foremost, not on the tasks, but on was she safe, was she happy, and was she pain-free, because that really was my end goal. And, And what I found even as a daughter was I had a lot of things on my list that didn't have to be there, but because this is something we can't control, it kept me busy, and it made me feel good checking it off. Yet it really wasn't important. And so I think COVID is really making us, you know, kind of nosedive into what what is really important and what really matters and what are you really going to remember in the big scheme of thing. And and again, I think it's pulled more families closer than than what they've been in a lot of situations. Denise, what what advice would you give families and, and people? who have loved ones with dementia. Absolutely. Ironically, my mom um, had dementia for 25 years. And so I too understand, um, I had to make changes with how I was as a family member in a community for 20 of those 25 years. And in the difficult thing of leaving that community when I would visit every day and having to trust the people that were there to take care of my precious mom. You know, I think believing, and as you indicated, seeing that smile when I would go visit my mom and she was always so happy to see me meant that she was happy too. I know there are family members who go through when families aren't excited to see them and try to figure out what that means, but knowing that they're happy and knowing they're content and watching out for those smiles 
is huge. Knowing that um, they're being well taken care of by, you know, their the way they look and the way they feel and uh, all of that is just so important. And I, I, I always told families when they were moving into communities, it's got to feel right for you. The community's got to feel right for you. And if it feels right for you, you've made a good decision. That's very true. That's very true. Teresa, I'm going to ask you uh, this one. What information would you like to share with other organizations uh, and who provide services for caregivers and, and again, those living with dementia? Is there any nuggets that you want to pass along of, of what you've learned? Regardless of the organization, the size, what type of provider or services that's given, I think one, just recognizing the incredible talent and ideas that are within the organization itself. One thing that we did early on is just to try to help support, but also sharing of ideas was, you know, we had several calls and would offer several support calls nationwide, you know, in different groups of our program leaders across the country, just to help answer questions, but to share ideas, to share best practices. And we, you know, as as an organization, we implemented like regular communication every week. We have a more formal publication going out, a newsletter, but it's strictly focusing in on engagement from dementia care and and technology and, and health and well-being and optimum life and just A lot of it was just pulling ideas, some creating new ideas, but also sharing wonderful ideas that was going on across the country. And I think just, you know, persevering and continuing to adapt and and pivot, as we say, right, we're the constant stage of pivot, but just listening one, listening to the residents, listening to the needs of the residents, listening to the needs of the families and building on that. Some of our adaptions and pivots have come from just the changes that we've seen, sometimes expressed or not expressed from our residents living with dementia or from our other families or other residents in assisted living, but just they have been going on an emotional journey too, right? Just as we all have been and just recognizing the changes and continuing to adapt and listen to the needs and then just create those opportunities and, and recognize the talent and pulling those ideas from, from all resources. That's wonderful. I, I know that I've heard some companies have kind of had an open forum for you know all of their communities and whoever wants to get on can. And I've heard uh, one was called the Pivot Pod. One was called uh, the Social Builders. And the, the one I work with is called Compassionate Care where people can, you know, they can vent, they can get different ideas and build upon one another, but just kind of lift one another up and know that they're not going through this alone. I think like anything with families, with people with dementia, with staff, we're all in the same pickle when it comes to that remedy. <laughs> and we, we need to know that we're, that we're not alone with that. Denise, is there anything you'd like to add in terms of what you'd like other organizations to maybe know what you've learned? Um, has worked during this time? I think being as open and honest with the families has been very key in the last nine months. You know, really focusing on giving out the information that I know is factual. And when it's not factual, I I don't answer those questions. 
because we don't know and we want to keep everybody calm and um, feeling positive about the decisions that are made um, for our residents' safety um, with COVID-19. Yeah, I think it's a it's a nice opportunity because everyone has had to lift kind of their transparency and their communication mm-hmm. during this time. And I know for a long time, you know, we a lot of communities tried to have kind of a family council and you couldn't get anybody together. And now's kind of a perfect time to to position that again, because if done correctly, that can be just such a dynamic value to your communities because People understand, they have better insight as to what you're going through, what your needs are, how they can volunteer or how they can donate if it's time, if it's their roller decks, if it's if yeah. it's funds, you know, if it's a park bench that you need or someone who loves gardening that comes in and says, hey, let me let me partake in this. It, it's amazing what can happen when those lines of communication open. So I I would really encourage companies to look strongly at that because a lot of people want to volunteer, but they don't know how. And sometimes we just have to not necessarily have this black and white criteria of how you can participate, but allow them just like you've allowed staff, I'm sure, to bring creative new ideas. (laughs) Like, how do we do this? What's working for you? And then you pass that along. And that's a beautiful thing because then people really feel like it's a piece of them I really feel more purpose and passion. I think, I think beyond that. Well, I want to thank you both so much for your time with us today and people can go to the overall website, brookdalesenioreliving.com and you can find any of their organizations throughout the country. And for Therese, you can get her by email and that is T and I'll spell her last name because otherwise you'd never get it. <laughs> is V-A-U-D-R-E-U-I-L at brookdale.com. And her direct number is 423-244-1739. And Denise's email is much easier. It's <laughs> D Olson with an O for at brookdale.com and her number is 651-482-8111 and uh, just push extension 201 and we're also going to post a link for a blog that was done. Teresa, I don't know if you want to talk about what that blog post will talk about. Yeah, it's actually a site where there's several blogs as Brookdale, one of our dementia care expert and our gerontologist, Juliet Holt-Plinger, she does a regular blog focusing in on very much person-centered care and advocacy for the individual living with dementia. So there are several blogs and posts within that link and just a great resource for families and individuals organizations. Okay, great. And then I didn't know if I should mention Daniel Renke's number. It sounds like that's the sales and marketing person. So if anybody is interested in the North Oak area, they can get a hold of Daniel at D and the last name is R-E-I-N-K-E at brookdale.com. And his direct number, uh, which looks like it's a mobile, is 763-913. 6140. Again, thank you so much for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks.
Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Wayshowers who will help your journey a lot easier.